Hope everybody's doing well this morning. Everybody lose an hour of sleep. It was hard getting up this morning. I made myself get up at a regular time. Just because, you know, might as well go ahead and start the habit now. You know, instead of getting in a bad habit. Right? So I'm not trying to make you feel bad if you didn't get up. I'm just telling you, you're going to have to get up sooner or later. So you might as well go ahead and start today. Amen? Come on, y'all. Loosen up. Don't make me work hard up here. Because I lost an hour of sleep too, so. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Okay, so um, I'm just going to wait on the Lord a minute. I know, you know, we've already waited on the Lord, and that was sweet, wasn't it? Yeah, it's always good to wait on the Lord. Uh, I always need to wait on the Lord before I speak. Mm. I was thinking about that scripture uh, where it says, uh, my cup overflows. Uh, it's in Psalm 23. It's right after the, the table. It's right after the anointing of your head. And it says, my cup overflows. And and that really is a picture of how the Lord wants us to live. Is, is in an overflow. It doesn't, he doesn't just fill our cup. He flows it over. And I just believe, Lord, this morning that you want to release the Holy Spirit in people. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, he wants to be released in a fuller measure in your life. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit really is. It's releasing what's already in you. Amen? You already have the Spirit of the Lord in you. If you're born again, he's in there. But the the baptism is actually an immersion into the Spirit which breaks forth the Spirit of God in, in you. Jesus said, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. Now listen, y'all, that's the, hour, that's the time, the thing that we need in this hour is we need those rivers to start flowing. Okay, so if you have pneumophobia, I'm messing with you. You got pneumophobia, you better get over it really quick because you might find yourself in a situation down the road where you're going to need something beyond what you already are operating in, like in your little mind, right? And so I'm just going to encourage you to... Uh, get to know the Holy Spirit. Get to know Him. Because He is God on earth. And Jesus is God in heaven. The Father is God in heaven. But the Holy Spirit is God on earth. And so He does represent the Father. And, and He represents the Son. Amen? Well, that was just something I wanted to say. Let the cup overflow. I'm going to read. Okay, so I'm going to read in Revelations 4, verse 1. Okay, yay. Who said woo? <laughs> yeah. So I really wasn't planning on doing, I was planning on getting out of the book of Revelation. If you've been paying attention, I've been doing Revelation. Uh, let me just repeat myself. Do y'all mind me repeating myself? I really got into that Revelation thing because I was just a desperate human being, honestly, and needed answers from the Lord for me and for my family and for this church. And so I just had this quirky idea one day that maybe there's some answers because there are churches in there that Jesus directly addressed. Uh, and he didn't address them through Paul. He didn't address them through, you know, anybody. He directly addressed these churches and gave messages to them. And I thought it'd be cool to know what Jesus has to say to churches. Isn't it cool to know what Jesus had to say to churches? And uh, so that was sort of my thought. And it really became a little bit bigger thing and I really wasn't planning on doing this but let me just say this I feel like uh, Revelation 4 and 5 are just uh, like 
I don't want to say the icing on the cake, but they are in some ways the icing on the cake uh, to the whole book, really, to the whole book of Revelation. I, in fact, I think, I think they're key for the book. I think if we don't really kind of get something out of Revelation 4 and 5, the rest of it's going to be a confusion and a disappointment. Uh, I mean, if you were a person who didn't know the Lord and you started reading in uh, Revelation 6 and thinking about uh, famine and war and pandemics that got released, you'd be wondering, what in the world is wrong with God as he's doing this? Right? Well, I would. I mean, you might not be so... You, you may be a brilliant person and know some stuff, but when I read that stuff, I'm the first thought that would come to my mind is something's wrong with a God who would do that to the people on this planet that he created to let all this bad stuff happen. Uh, so, But I think Revelation 4 and 5 really kind of taps us in to the heart of God and lets us know what his heart really is and give us a better understanding of why God does certain things. Okay, well, okay. So, you know, uh, John said after these things, and these things were uh, chapter 2 and 3 where he, uh, those messages were given to the seven churches. And so this is the thing that happened next. He said, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which, the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must, must take place after this. And so, wow, don't you love that, a door standing open in heaven? That's kind of a great charismatic uh, thought, <laughs> honestly. I think I've used that verse a few times in some of my messages, but they were more like messages about having an open heaven and having access to the throne of God as a, as a born-again person. Um, but it just, there's just so much to it. Um, it really is. And I think, oh, the thing, y'all, uh, can y'all bear with me? The thing that just has been, the reason I really want to do this is these, this can have such an impact on your heart, these two chapters. I'm telling you, they can impact you. more. They have really grabbed, grabbed me in a way I've never been grabbed before and gave me a real passion uh, to really be a worshiper Really? I mean, I even thought about, Lord, maybe when I die, the best thing that could be written on my tombstone, if I actually have one, was he was a worshiper. I mean, I think that would be the greatest thing. Because it's really, you know, that's really what God actually is. You know, God's not looking for worship. Did y'all know that? He is not. The Bible says the Father is looking for worshipers. That's what it says in John. He's looking for worship. The Father seeks worshipers. It doesn't say he wants you to bow down at his knees. He's just looking for the worshipers. That's really the truth. And that's an outstanding truth that he's not looking for preachers. He's not looking for prophets. He's not looking for healers. He's looking for worshipers. And I promise you in heaven, that was going to be a big part of what we're doing. Amen. Well, uh, so I believe... There's something really powerful can happen in, in these chapters. I think there's an impartation that can come into our life when we really tap into them. Uh, you know, like I've shared before, most of my uh, experience with the book of Revelation has been sort of 
like that. You know, you read it because it's in the Bible, right? But as far as really allowing it to come into me and me going into it, it's never been like that for me because of the chaotic things and the trauma that's in this book. You know, I just, but once you really dig in and once you tap into what's in there, what was spoken in the very beginning will happen in your life. There was a, a blessing will come into your life, y'all. There really is a blessing will come into your life. That's what the Word of God says two times in the book of Revelation. At the beginning, for those who read it, there's a blessing. And at the end, it says, for those who read it, there's a blessing. And for those who take anything away from it, it's going to be trouble for them. And that's the truth. That is really the truth. And when we allow that to begin to happen in our life, we can really experience a blessing, whatever that blessing may be for you in particular. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Well, this is the thing. It's a challenging book to talk about. Okay? The whole book's challenging. Especially this is extremely challenging. Here's why it's challenging. Because this takes us into heaven. Okay? And... We want to. Be, if you have become a communicator of the of the of the Bible, uh, and, and you'll find out really quick that your communication it will not work unless there's a reality inside of you. Okay. In other words, you have to walk some of the you got to get revelation from the Lord from the Word of God, and you have to live it some. You got to experience it some. At least it just falls out of your mouth on the ground and, or it just tickles people's ears. Are you with me? And so here, you, here we tap into something that nobody has walked in, that nobody has really experienced. Are you, are you following me? So there's a challenge in talking about it because it's beyond our experience. It's beyond our experience. But it is part of the word of the Lord. So uh, I... Uh, have written down five things. Then there's more. I, I started out with two, and I kept, it kept growing for me. But uh, how uh, this, these chapters in particular really stretch us, okay, and stretch us hard. Uh, it stretches us beyond our experience. It stretches us beyond our theology. These things in this book can destroy your theology, Okay, if you don't really tap, if you don't really have a, a understanding of the heart of God, and you begin to read some of the ca- catastrophic things that happen in this book, it will destroy your revelation of, lo- of the love of God. But if you really tap into the heart of God and what's in here, you'll begin to see things from a different perspective. Is any of this making sense? Okay, well, I'm just going to try to do this. So here we are. Uh, we are stretching at least five ways. Number one. Uh, we are moved from hev- from earth to heaven. First three chapters are all on earth. Chapter four, all of a sudden, we're in heaven. Humanity and earthly things are left behind, and we're dealing with spiritual beings and spiritual things. That right there is huge. Did y'all get that? Because that's important, to, the way you read the rest of this book. Suddenly, you're no longer dealing with life on earth. You're dealing with life in heaven and what's going on in heaven. I think that's pretty, pretty cool. Okay, we move from the present to the future, he says, after these things. In other words, we're no longer talking about things now, in the now. We're talking about things in the future. And it's a whole lot harder to, to, and a whole lot more difficult to imagine the future 
than it is the present or even the past. How many of us in 2017 would have ever imagined what we were going to go through in 2019? There ain't a soul in this room could have. So we can't, it's hard for us to imagine what the future is going to be like. It really is. And so this is what we're doing. All of a sudden we're not dealing with the present things. We're dealing with things in heaven and things in the future. Am I talking okay, y'all? I mean, mm-mm, yeah. Uh, we move from a toxic, fallen world to a holy and pure world. In other words, we're, suddenly the Bible's talking from a place of complete purity and p- complete holiness. We're, we're the rest of the Bible, really, except for the first two chapters, everything's defiled. Everything's toxic. And what's happening is happening in this toxic environment. And that really affects everything. Uh, number four, we move from seeing things humanly to seeing things as God sees them. Because it said, come up here. So John is no longer looking to heaven. He's looking from heaven. That's so key. Looking from heaven to earth instead of looking from earth to heaven. I think this is great. I'm sorry y'all don't, but... I think it's amazing. Here, and here's the last one, and this one's related to the other one. But we move from just hearing to seeing. It says seven times, seven times in chapter 2 and 3, hear, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying. The first thing it says here in chapter 4, it says, after these things I looked, and behold. And in chapter 5, it starts with, and I saw. Okay, so that's our key for revelation is these parts of revelation. It it doesn't diminish hearing at all, but it brings in the vital need for believers to be able to see and not just hear. Are you hearing me? Are you seeing me? (laughs) Which brings up an opportunity for me to give you my some of my pet verses from the Bible. Would you like some of my pet? I haven't given you my pet verses in a long time. So I thought I would take this opportunity because this really fits. I'm going to go out of the book of Revelation just for a moment to give you my pet verse. And I'm going to tell you something. This, this is profound. It's Ephesians 1. Some of y'all should know this. 17 through 19. This is a prayer, one of the apostolic prayers that Paul prayed. He prayed a few of them. I don't remember exactly how many. He actually had two in the book of Ephesians. In Colossians, Philippians, he had one, I think, in Thessalonians. But you, sometimes you should go through Paul's prayers and dig them out and pray them over your life. They will impact you huge. But this is the prayer that has had the most impact in my entire life of any prayer. And I've been praying this prayer and versions of it for, for 22 years at least. Uh, it says, uh, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Don't you love that term? The Father of glory may give to you. Now listen, I want to remind you, he is talking to believers. He is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to one of the greatest churches at that time in the scriptures. It was the most powerful church in the scriptures up until the 60 years later when he's when they, he was, they were addressed for losing their first love. But up until that time, they were one of the most, they were the most powerful. They had the greatest, the, the city of Ephesus had the greatest move of God in the New Testament. 
the greatest move about God happened. Read it. Go and read it in Acts. You know, that's where they burned all the demonic books and, you know, did all these amazing things. And this church became, and I think I've shared this before, but it's worth saying again, Paul started the church. Timothy was a pastor of church. The apostle John led the church, and that became his home church. Mary, the mother of Jesus, that was her church. That's all from history. It, this was the amazing church. This was the place to be. But here's Paul praying that the Lord would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In a better way of saying that is to know Jesus Christ. That you need this spirit of wisdom and revelation operating in your life to really know him in a real way, in a, in a, in a, in a personal, intimate way. And so, it, but you can't, that, there's, only a, there's only a gift from God that would cause that to work in your life. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's really not just a gift, like a gift of the spirit that comes. It is a flow, a, a spirit. When the Bible talks spirit, besides the Holy Spirit, even the Holy Spirit, it really is talking about a flowing, a river, something that's, that's ongoing, something that flows in your life versus a gift of the spirit where it says it's at the spirit's will. And I think the church is coming into a time when we not only need this, the gifts of the Spirit to operate, but we're going to need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to flow in that, to walk on this earth. Are y'all with me? It says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It, did you know as a believer, your spiritual eyes are open? They're open, whether you know it or not, but there's a darkness that operates. And I could give you a lot on that, but we don't have time for that. Ephesians 4 talks about this darkness in our heart. But what Paul's talking about here is literally like you're in a dark room and somebody throws the light on. See, in a dark room in the natural, your eyes are wide open. You just can't really see. But when somebody turns the light on, you can see. And that's what Paul's talking about, this enlightenment coming inside of you so your spiritual eyes can begin to see certain things. Are y'all following this? Because y'all are looking at just staring at me with blankly. Blankly. There's a point to this. But yeah, this is really good stuff. I love all this. This is a mighty prayer to pray. A mighty prayer. This really will, can really affect your life in a big way. Um, I was gonna, that you may know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Notice the common phrase in all three of those things. His. See, there's a vital understanding. It's not knowing the hope of our calling it's His calling. It's not knowing our inheritance. It's His. It's not knowing our power. It's His power. And when we begin to tap into those things, our calling, our inheritance, our, the power that rests on us becomes a, re, a reality in our life. This is important, y'all. This is real important. And this is really needed in the day we come. If there was ever a time for us to pray a prayer, it is time for us to pray this prayer because there's a darkness in the world that's now being exposed. But the problem is we're hearing things, we're seeing things, but we're not necessarily hearing what's really going on. The natural mind obscures what's really happening. 
Your natural mind cannot perceive what's really happening. But the spirit of wisdom and revelation can look right through things and see the truth. We're desperate in the world today to know what's really happening. We're desperate in the world to know what's really going on over there in Ukraine. Because what we're being told, what if it's not really true? And we're buying into a lie. We really need to see the truth. And the spirit of wisdom and revelation is what gives us the ability to know the truth. Are y'all following this? And this so we really need to really begin to pursue this, not just to be spiritual in church, but for our lives, but for, the, for what's happening in the world and how to make choices and decisions moving forward. I believe it's, the Bible declares that the world will get darker and darker. It does not declare it's going to get lighter and lighter. It declares that we're the light. We carry the light. But we need to allow that light to shine inside of us so it can shine outside of us. Amen? You know, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is what we basically operate in. And it totally obscures everything, twists everything. But the tree of life, the tree of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, will bring things into clarity. Well, praise the Lord, that was good, wasn't it? I thought so. Yeah, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, let me read verse 2. I love this, man. Who said that? Raise your hand. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. So here's what you're going to find if you read these short 11 verses that's in this chapter, is that the word throne is the key word. Wow. It occurs 14, actually it occurs 16 times. 14 times have to do with the throne of God. The other two times have to do with the throne of these elders that are in heaven, the council of heaven, the courts of heaven that are up there around his throne. That's the other two times. So it's pretty significant that, you know, that the throne is the main, the main thing. Now let me tell you quickly and you'll get this too that once John was in heaven once he walked through that door and was in the spirit he actually saw seven things in heaven okay he saw seven things aren't you interested in heaven y'all he tells us what's in heaven he tells us what's in heaven we literally he literally tells us what God looks like it's right here it's amazing. Uh, so first he saw the throne. That's what it says. Then he saw God the Father sitting on the throne. That's the second thing. The third thing he saw was an emerald rainbow around the throne. Then he saw the 24 elders sitting on their throne that were also before the throne or around the throne. Then he saw seven lamps of fire burning, which we know is the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit who were before the throne. Are y'all getting this? Wow. Then he saw the sapphire blue sea of glass before the throne. Are y'all following this? And then he saw four living creatures with eyes all over them. Weird, right? In the midst of the throne and around the throne. Now just tell me what was the one common thing in all seven things. The throne. 
the throne is the center. Apparently, heaven is set up where you, I, I kind of think is this. You got the throne of God in like a semicircle around it is all this stuff happening. In other words, the throne's the center of everything. The throne is the center of activity. It's the center of all that's happening in the world. It's right there, the throne of God, and all of these activities and all of these things that are happening are happening on that throne. That throne is making all the decisions in the world. It's such a powerful thing. And so before John saw... Before John saw any of the rest of the book of Revelation, before he saw those seven seals that get broke open or those seven trumpets that get broken, what did he see? He saw the throne. He saw a revelation of God. He saw the revelation of God's power and God's authority. That should tell us something. That should tell us how we could walk into a future that's uncertain without being overcome. Shouldn't it tell us that? Shouldn't it tell us this is a key for us? It was a key for John in heaven before God would dare tell him what was going to happen. God wanted John to know about the throne. He wanted him to know about who was sitting on the throne and what was happening around the throne. That should tell us that God wants us to know some of this. We might not necessarily go up into the throne room, but the throne room can come down to us. And God can begin to reveal through the Word of God and through, through the Holy Spirit's power to see Him like we've never seen Him. Amen. Uh, this is something that David said in Psalm 103, verse 19, that's really powerful, especially in, in the context of Psalm 103. He says, The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. So David spoke of this prophetically. Okay, and he spoke of it. And if you go and look at Psalm 103, guess what it's about? Bless the Lord, O my soul, is how it begins. Y'all know that one, right? Bless his holy name. Forget not none of his benefits. Listen to this. Forget not none of his benefits. He heals you of all your disease. He delivers you out of all your trouble. He redeems your soul. And he goes on and talks about all these things that God does. And then down in verse 19, he tells us of this great benefit. I just read it to you. Did you get He's established his throne in heaven. He rules over all. And what David was prophetically declaring, this is a benefit to you just like his healing's a benefit to you. Just like his deliverance a benefit to you. Just like his salvation's a deliverance a benefit to you. Is that as we begin to see the throne of God, it's going to benefit us. It's going to help us. It's going to help us get through things. That's what he was sharing there. He wanted us to know. David, before, you know, before any, any of us knew anything, was telling us this. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, this is the truth at the end of the day is what David was declaring and what John saw was God is in control of this world ultimately. He is in control of this world. He's the ruler of this world. And listen to me as he will bring the events of the future to a meaningful end. He will bring the events of the future to a meaningful end. He has a plan for the future. He knows what's happening. It, things are not randomly happening. They're getting by him. You see, when we begin to see that, it, begin to, it can impact our hearts. 
Fear, listen to this, fear, anxiety, and panic have overrun the world. Fear, anxiety, and panic. But we had to learn not to bow our knees to it. Do you hear me? We can't go along with the rest of the world and bow our knees when we hear some of the stuff we're hearing. Because if we do, we're no different from the world. And we've lost, we've not tapped into a benefit. Well, you know what benefits are, right? If you have a job, you get paid, that's a benefit. They give you time off, that's a benefit. They give you insurance. Whatever they do, it's like, hey, we want you here. These are the things we're going to give you to be here and do stuff for us. Well, that's what God said. I want you here. I want you to be a part of the family. I'm going to give you all these benefits. And when troubled times come, there's a benefit. The benefit is you don't have to bow to these troubled times. You don't have to be in panic. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be anxious about tomorrow. That's a benefit from the Lord. But the benefit comes when we begin the revelation of, of, of the throne and the Father that's sitting on the throne. So we can go and, you know, deal with these things because it doesn't mean this stuff's going to go away. Okay? <sighs> the only place we will find true and lasting rest, peace, and security is in a revelation of God Almighty. That's really the only place. I think we discovered in the last couple, two or three years that we won't find that in our country, in the security of our country. I think we've discovered that's just, that's a farce. That doesn't exist. And that's sad, but you know. The more we see him and know him, the more we will see our lives, circumstances, and the world events in the way he sees them. The more we see that throne, we're going to see what he's looking at. I don't think we, we're seeing what he's seeing right now with what's going on in the world. I really don't. Not by and large. There might be a few people who've dug around and found, found the heart of God in it. But I don't think, by and large, I don't think the church, and I know our government, and I can promise you our media doesn't. I can promise you that. And I'm not putting down the media. I appreciate what Cheryl prayed. You know, she prayed for the media. You know. Uh, In Revelation 5, I shared this last week, but this is so profound to me. You know, in Revelation 5, which is also a continuation of heaven, Verse four, uh, chapter four and five, is you know there's the, the scroll. There's a scroll. I don't know if y'all remember the old scroll that had the seven seals, and the seven seals had all these seven these bad things coming forth, like the fan, you know the white horse, the red horse. I saw that thing. Okay, I love that. The pale horse, what the the four horsemen of right of Revelation, and they were all bad. They were really bad. I mean, you know, they were death and. I mean, Lord, how mercy. A fourth of mankind is destroyed. A fourth of mankind when one of those seals get broken open. That's why I said earlier, what kind of God do we have? He's going to kill off a fourth of humanity or allow a fourth of humanity to be killed off. And that makes you question. There's just terrible things that happen that have absolutely never happened on the earth before that's in those chapters. Never. Absolutely never. Historically, it's just never happened. And it's, it's not great. But here's the crazy thing. When Jesus, and I said this last week, and this grabbed my heart. When Jesus took that 
scroll out of the Father's hand as the one worthy to open it up, heaven exploded in worship. Millions of angels jumped into worship. Millions. And I'm thinking, my God, why could they, what are they doing worshiping? This is bad news. This is not good news. That's the first thought that came to my mind. Why would they explode in worship? Here's why. Because they knew something and saw something that we don't see. And that's why they exploded in worship. Because they knew that Christ was going to take over the world. And Christ was going to fix the world. And he was going to redeem the world. And even though there was difficulties that had to go through for him to purify this world and cleanse this world, they knew it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it for, to get through this moment, for these things to happen, for the Lord to come back and do what he had always promised to do. But see, if we don't know that and we don't see that, then we're going to be like the world. We're going to be flipping, flipping out when, when bad things happen. And what <laughs> we read those the other night, and we were thinking, my gosh, this sounds like now, some of this stuff that's going on. It sounds like now. We got, a, we got people who could push a button and kill us all in a minute. You know, it sounds like now. And that's because, and I, I think I've shared it before, future events in the Bible, there's always a foreshadowing of those things. Right? Before they happen, a shadow of those things pass over us. I promise you right now, we are at least under a shadow of, of future events. We may not be in those events. I hope we're not because I don't think we're ready for it. But there's definitely a shadow of, of distressing times is passing over the earth right now. Well, thank you, Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. So years ago, there was a song... Hey, I'm going to be finished here in a minute, man. There was this song, uh, some of you remember. I think it came out of vin Vineyard uh, Worship. It was Lord Rain in Me. Do y'all remember that song? Oh, yeah. Lord Rain in Me Again. That's, that's the name of it. The first time I ever heard the song, I thought it was R-A-I-N. Okay, Lord Rain in Me. And I thought, wow, I love that. Lord Rain in Me. That's a good thing. Because the Lord does want to reign, R-A-I-N, in people. I've had him to reign in me. It felt like my brain was weeping. But it was really God washing me, washing my thoughts. You know what the Bible talks about, about the word being a purifier in, in Ephesians? I, li I literally had that happen to me. And it felt like, it felt like me weeping, but I realized... It felt like my brain was weeping. That was a weird feeling. Like my brain's weeping, but my eyes are not. You know, but it was really the rain of the Holy Spirit working inside my thinking and my mind, just washing and cleansing. But the truth is that song was not Lord R-A-I-N. It was Lord R-E-I-G-N in me. Lord reign in me again. You see, when, when we begin to look at the throne... That's the only response there is, is Lord reign in me. And that's what God's looking for. He's looking for a people that he can literally reign in our hearts. And because if, if, if God is not able to reign in our hearts, he will never bear to reign in our personal circumstances.
because we will be in panic. We will be in fear. We will not be in faith. We will not be in love. Are y'all following this? That, that's, what this is, this what, that's what this says to us practically. See, I'm trying to make this practical for, for us. That it's not just something that John saw in spirit. This is something that should encounter, we should encounter right now. Today, we should encounter the throne of God. We should begin to realize we need God to reign in us again. We need Him to have that authority in us that He truly has. Well, I'm getting a great response out of that, man. Yes, sir. Oh, let me read this little paragraph here. This is my Tony paragraph. Good old Tony. Make you discipline, right, Tony? Tony is one of the hardest working people I've ever been around in my life. If you're lazy, don't hang out with him. That's all I say. He will just, you get tired watching him. I mean, like, good Lord, Tony, you make me tired. I thought, man, when that guy gets old, he has to quit this. That was 20 years ago. He's still doing it. The need of the hour in this, listen to this, chaotic and troubled world with a confused and distressed generation. Because we have a very confused and distressed generation. We really do. Not only in the world, but in the church. Is by revelation to see God seated in power on his throne. That's what we really need to see, y'all. We need to see what John saw. We need to see God seated in power on his throne. Then we can face the future with confidence that not only he is in control today, but he has the future securely under his power and control. He has the future securely. This is the biblical truth. Everything that is yet to happen is known to him. Everything. Everything that may befall us in this life is under his control. When we begin to see God like that, that nothing happens, nothing's going to happen on this earth, nothing's going to happen without him knowing about it and permitting it. You know, when God is at work doing stuff that we don't understand or we don't like, he's actually working for our beha- on our behalf. And I can prove that out of the life of David really easy. So many times... Things were going bad for him. But, but you read the rest of the story, you find out all the bad stuff that he thought it was happening was setting him up for the very thing that God had promised over his life. It's because David had allowed the Lord to reign in him. I'm going to read this one more scripture and then I'm going to stop. I wish I was a little bit more into this. I'm sorry, I'm the only one into this. Yeah. This is out of Daniel, which, you know, Daniel is another very high-level prophetic book. You know, about end time stuff. A lot of stuff that's happening in, uh, a lot of stuff that's happening, especially in Revelation 5, uh, is uh, foreshadowed in Daniel. In fact, Daniel is one of the only other places, maybe not the only other place, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, where God is described for what God looks like. Daniel saw God. Daniel went up into the heaven and saw the Lord. He, and so he uses a little bit different language. Than, than John used. Because see, what you'll find in Scripture, some of these things, like the, the, the blue sea, that was seen all through the Bible. That's all through the Bible. That was seen by several people. They just didn't describe it as a sea. The reason John descri- described I'm getting off a little bit here, but this is so amazing. 
the sea of glass because he, he called it a sea of glass. Uh, Moses called it a pavement. Moses called it a pavement. I think uh, um, Eliza, no, 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 what's that? Ezekiel, he called it a table. So you see the Bible's given a progression of this thing. Moses went up in the, how many 70-something elders, 71 or 74, what happened? 70, there was 72, there was 71, I don't remember, it was something like that. They went up and sat on this sapphire blue sea and had a meal with God and worshipped God. I mean, can you, is that crazy, y'all? It's the same thing that John saw. Except for John called it a sea because he saw how big it is. You know, a sea is big. Moses didn't really catch how big it was. But John saw it like Moses saw it as a gathering place. Did y'all know in heaven there's going to be times of gathering where the people, it says that in, in Revelation 15, it says there was this great gathering before the throne of the saints on that sea. Daniel saw it. He called it a river of fire. In John 15, he says that sea. Are y'all interested in this? This is fascinating to me. He saw fire mingled in to the sea in Revelation 15. See, all this is real, y'all. Every bit of this is real. There, this is not fantasy. These are not metaphors. These are real things. There's something, there's a real sapphire blue sea. There really literally are beings that have multiple eyes on them. Literally, there are these beings. There's millions of angels that worship God. Millions. Uncountable. This, is, this stuff is real. It's real. And God is looking for a people who can know this is real have some level of impact knowing it's not just, oh, that's wonderful, we'll get there when they know. It's about today, that these things impact us today. That they become a reality. That's why that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that, we're literally calling down that sea onto the earth. Lord, let there be glassy sea worship like there are in heaven. Let there be that gathering like there are in heaven. Let there be these voices of thunder and lightnings like there are in heaven. That's literally what we're praying. We're praying for the reality of these things to come true. But I think the main thing that we have to pray for more than anything else is that reality of God being enthroned on our hearts. That Christ is Lord. He's our Lord. We sing it. We're going to follow you. Jacob said, we're going to follow you. To, you know, even you take us into the world. I'm thinking, I don't want to... He said that. I said, I don't want to sing that. But you know what? If he's going in the wilderness, guess where? We're going. We're going. And that's really what it means to follow Christ wherever he may lead you and allow him to be Lord of your life. Or you'll be so overrun by all this trouble that's happening in the world and you will be scared. You will be full of anxiety. You'll be so afraid somebody's going to push the button and a nuclear weapon land in your backyard. You'll live in that fear, and God has not called any of us to live in that fear. He has not called us to live in that fear. Uh, I wanted to read Daniel 11, verse 32. This is a very famous, another one of these very famous charismatic verses. <laughs> Don't y'all love famous charismatic verses? I love them, you know. These are verses I've heard all my life as a believer, uh, you know. 
You know, people put down the charismatic church a lot and probably rightfully say, we've done so many dumb things, there is, but, but God doesn't put us down. I think he loves, like, where's the Pentecostal crowd? Where, I got a Pentecostal section over here. The Presbyterians, I love them, they're over here, but they're, they're the ones that are going to take care of everything being quiet. But I got this crowd over here, they ain't going to be quiet. We don't need to be quiet. We need to shout to the Lord. But it says, you know, those who do wickedly against the... I, I said this a long time ago about this verse, but yes, you know, it's, it's prophetic. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. That's interesting, isn't it? But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God. Do y'all remember Seinfeld? The television show Seinfeld? Remember that little saying he had, yada, yada, yada? Y'all know that? Yada, well, he was speaking Hebrew. You know, he's, he's a, he is a Hebrew. That's what that word there, uh, no, is yada. Not yada, yada, yada. No, no, no. I'm serious. I'm just joking. But it's true. Yada, yada, yada. Y-A-D-A. That's what that word is. No. And it's used, and I think some of y'all know this, being good old Pentecostal people. Genesis 4.1 says, Adam knew, knew yada, Eve. And as a result, they had a baby. Isn't that cool? He was intimate yada. He had intimate yada knowledge of Eve. That's what Daniel's talking about. The people who know their God intimately shall be strong and do exploits. Mere knowledge about God is devoid of discernment and power to do anything. Did y'all hear that? Mere knowledge about God has no power, has no discernment. It does not work. It just it, it serves you. The, the Pharisees knew more about God than anybody, and look what happened to them. In fact, it's what really destroyed them. Because the Pharisees actually, y'all, started out very well. If you go back and study the history of Pharisees, they started out amazingly well. They were standing up for justice. They were standing up for the law of God at that time. They're, literally, this is what was happening. I just want to tell you this, just to see how far we can tumble, okay? There were two groups, basically. And one group, the group that had taken over, this was after the old, between the Testaments. If a woman circumcised her son, they would cut her breast off to keep that baby from being able to nurse his mama so that baby would die. And that's where the Pharisees came about, is all these injustices were happening to the people, and they stood up to it and fought against that kind of thing. Isn't that amazing? At that point, we celebrated. They didn't call themselves Pharisees. It was something else. But it began very well. But somewhere down the road, it didn't end well. It, end, it ended terribly, really. And it really didn't have to. It didn't have to. I don't think the body of Christ is going to end terribly. I think the Bible promises that we're going to end well. But I'll tell you, mere knowledge about God will cause you not to end well. It'll cause you to be messed up. I'm just going to finish here. It says, throughout the Bible, we see mighty exploits done by the people of God. That's what really uh, Hebrews 11 really reveals. It talks about all these amazing things that these people who knew the Lord 
had confidence in God and had the faith of Christ operating in them. It says they got people back from the dead. They, they did all these amazing things. And it was because of this revelation of God that was operating in their life. And that's really what the Lord wants to do for us. He wants to give us a great revelation of Him. And He wants to be Lord of your life. He really, literally, we sing it, I lay down my life. How many people really in this room can honestly say that's the truth in your life? Where He has complete control of your life. Where you've given it all to Him. That doesn't mean He tells you everything to do. It's just, it's a heart matter. Because God wants us to live our life and make decisions and choices. But God wants to be our Lord. God wants to be truly our King. That we live under His authority and we know His authority. Okay, y'all stand up. Oh, Lord, help. Jesus is king. Somebody, yeah. Yeah, Jesus is king. Amen. Everybody say that. Jesus is king. Say, Jesus is my king. Did we do that earlier? Did we, we did something earlier. I don't know what we did. We did. Sorry, I'm just copying whoever did that, but I, it's a good thing to copy, right? Jesus, you're my king. Yeah, amen. Mm, thank you, Lord. I want to give us an opportunity right now, honestly, honestly, about this, to say something to the Lord about him, about his lordship over your life. And I hate to tell you, if you tell him that, he's going to take it serious. You know, which means... He might disrupt some things. But you know what? That's a good thing. (laughs) I've told the Lord stuff like, oh, why did I tell you that, Lord? (laughs) Mm. Lord, we just thank you today, Father. In the name of Jesus, Lord. Lord, thank you for our union with Christ. That we really are in Christ. And Christ is in us. The King is in us. The King of the universe is in us. The King of creation is in us. And, Lord, we're inviting you. uh, Lord, I invite you to be king over this church in a fresh way, in a new way. Lord, our future is in your hands. And I'm asking you, Lord, to you're at the helm, Lord. I'm asking you to be at the helm and take us where we need to go, Lord. And just like we prayed earlier for our leaders of over our nation. I just pray for we'd have amazing leadership in this church that really would be followers of you and do what you tell us to do, Lord. <clears throat> just ask you that in Jesus' name.